0: Funding for The Hinckley Report is made possible in part by the Cleone P. Eccles Endowment Fund. Thank you for listening to The Hinckley Report as a podcast. If you like what you hear, please subscribe at your go-to podcast platform. Good evening, and welcome to The Hinckley Report. I'm Jason Perry, director of the Hinckley Institute of Politics. Covering the week, we have Emily Means, political reporter with KUER, Chris Blake, lobbyist with RRJ Consulting, and Scott Howell, former Utah Senate Minority Leader. Thank you for being with us tonight. Uh, it's just so many interesting things to get to. I wanna start with you, Scott, though. We had a transition of power into the White House with our new president, Joe Biden. Uh, you were part of the, the campaign. You were part of the transition. Talk about uh, that event through the, Utah, through the Utah Eye. What are we going to see from President Biden as Utah's?
1: Well, first of all, it was historical because instead of a field of people, you had a field of flags. And it really set the tone for what the uh, president was wanting to do. And I think through the, the lens of Utah's, probably the person that stole the show was Amanda Gorman. Her poem about climbing the hill, <clears throat> I think, touched the heart of every single Utah. My son texted me and said, Dad, I think I'm at General Conference. And I thought that was kind of an interesting comment. But I think the the president had said from day one, and as um, short of two weeks ago, we had a conference call with the Biden team and with the, uh, those involved. And they said, COVID-19, COVID-19, don't even approach us about anything else unless you have a solution and a better plan. So I think from the lens of Utahns, we're going to see an individual that won't be tweeting at three in the morning, won't be sending out messages, but someone who's thoughtful and caring and will want to have Unity. Now he realizes that there are people, 70 million, that didn't vote for him, but he also realizes that we can come together. And I think on the pandemic, making that the number one issue is probably as important as anything. And I think that's what Utahns will want to see. Because once we get back, to our normal lives, is what we quote quote, normal, I'd say. Uh, Things will be better for everyone. But, you know, we've learned a lot from the pandemic, too. We've learned about being mobile. We've learned about working not in an office. We've learned about how we can communicate. So there's a lot of things that the president will focus on, but that is going to be top of the list. Yeah, I want to get
0: to a couple of those items. But, Chris, one one interesting thing visually from it was our our entire delegation was there. Uh, Even Congressman McAdams, former Congressman McAdams, was, was there as well, this is a, a group of people that have not, were, were not really uh, supportive. You know, talk to some of them even talking about the election being stolen itself. But they were all there. Talk about the s- symbolic nature of, of their attendance, and particularly given the lens that even Burgess Owens wrote a letter saying, I'm going to work with the administration.
2: Well, uh, I think that's the right thing to do, and I'm I'm glad that they did that. Uh, I I wish some of those actions would have been reflected earlier, but it's a a positive science, a positive trend. Um, It's going to be a challenge. I mean, inaugurations generally bring people together. There is a honeymoon period, so to speak. Uh, But this is is a difficult time and one that's going to require a great deal of deft touch uh, that I think is you know, that that President Biden certainly has, uh, and it'll be interesting, but he's going to have some poll from from di- his different factions and interest groups, those that want to him to move in a more progressive direction, those that say more incremental. And so it will be interesting to see how much he reaches out, how he goes about doing that, what kind of personal touch he puts on it. Uh, and and I think there, that people should be open to receiving that and and working with him and working with his administration yeah. as he's willing to
0: find common ground and, and work with others. So I'm curious about this, Emily, because uh, you're covering so many of these stories so well. And I'm curious what you're hearing, because uh, even, even as we heard from both sides of the aisle really here today, people they're all talking about unity. They're talking about coming together, bipartisanship. What do you think that means now from the people you're interviewing? Because I know you're talking to legislators every day, too. What are people thinking that means?
3: Well, I think it's a good question and something that we'll just really have to See what that even looks like. Um, I want to go back to Representative Burgess Owens and Chris Stewart, who both voted not to um, confirm those Electoral College votes. So, that particular message from Burgess Owens that he will work with the Biden administration towards common goals or whatever, um, some things that I'm seeing is that maybe that rings a little bit hollow. And, you know, it was just a, a a couple weeks ago that we saw the insurrection at the U.S. Capitol, um, which was largely spurred by this idea that the election was stolen. So I don't know what unity looks like. I don't know that we can move past what happened just a couple of weeks ago so quickly. and. Um, I think another thing that I'm seeing is that it can't all be on Biden's shoulders to do that. Though I do think, uh, I, I think, Scott, you mentioned this, that Biden has kind of been seen as, a, as one who will unify the country. But, you know, it kind of takes two to tango. So um, I'm interested to see how the Republicans and Democrats come together and, you know, what their respective roles will be in that.
2: I read a quote, uh, don't know who said, I apologize. They made the point that it's exhausting to debate reality. It's energizing to debate policy. And so I hope that is what we can see. I I think that a broad... Conflict of ideas is is appropriate. Uh, I don't expect you know Senator Lee just to say oh well we'll just do this because you know Joe Biden wants to do it or Chuck Schumer wants to do it. I, th- I think it's appropriate that they debate policy. The question is can they find a place to land and and pass something that's impactful uh, to to the American public. And that's where I think the, the the debates and the the frustration is really growing. Is Congress has to act. And I don't at some level, I don't even care what it is anymore. Let's find a way for them to act and, and move policy forward for, for the country and for the good of, of Americans.
0: When you get to this policy, Scott, I have to ask, because there is a Utah flavor that, that they're looking for in, in President Biden. And uh, just give us the give us the take on the fact that on the very first day, one of the exec, couple of the executive orders get to some issues that are top of mind for Utah's. When it comes to Bears Ears, for example, the oil and gas uh, drilling leases also talk about that.
1: Well, um, I, I will talk about that. I want to make a point what Emily said. Look, they're not going to go in and sing Kumbaya. Uh, when you talk about civil discord, uh, you can also have civil dialogue. And what Chris said is very appropriate. The ability, and I've been in those uh, positions, where you have to sit down and listen. And there's a big difference between tweeting out insurrection and tweeting out uh, these uh, messages of battle and and contentious versus someone who can get in a room Mm -hmm. and be able to sit down and have adult conversations. And it should be no surprise to you, Tom, uh Joe had said this from the beginning uh, we we know it's a fact they were going to talk about bears ears and about mm-hmm. the uh the realignment of some of the boundaries at least look into it that's what the, what it says and for me it, it, that's not a surprise for everybody and I don't know who didn't get that but he said that every time he's been up there is one of them one of his uh, initiatives I, I think on the other issues that we'll see um, that could hit home to you Utah is the whole notion of education. He has always said that education is the driver that will equalize everyone in opportunities in in their life. And so I think from that perspective, Utah should be happy after hearing uh, Governor Cox the other day put education at the Mm -hmm. top of the list. So I think there's a lot of synergy. And I'll tell you on bear's ears, if I was Spencer Cox, I would enlist Gary Herbert to be one of these individuals individuals that will start to work to come up with a solution year after year after year. We go back and we say, okay, the boundaries are here. They're going to do this. We've got to get President Nez involved. We've got to get the whole nation, the Navajo Nation involved. And it needs to be this table where people are coming together and saying, what is the best for everyone? And I know Mike Noel, I, I, I've met Phil Lyman, and I know uh, that they sometimes are perceived of being these people that you just can't make any progress with. It's... My experience in working with them, if you sit down and have a rational conversation, they'll at least listen. And so I think uh, the best thing Spencer could do, as I said a minute ago, is get enlist Gary and get, get them to go back there and sit down and have a rational mm-hmm. conversation and make this issue go away, because <laughs> there's no use doing it, yeah, Chris, no, right? I, I
2: agree 100%. <laughs> I think that's the right the right message that, uh, that there is. I, we look back at the Washington County lands bill that Senator Bennett and yeah. Representative Mathis and did a number of years ago, we don't hear the talk and the debate around that for a couple of reasons. One, it was negotiated with a lot of different right. players at the table. And number two, it was passed into law. Yes. And so right. if we want to do executive actions, and just govern that way, then we'll just move presidency to presidency, administration to administration, and we'll just change that. That's not good for anybody. So yeah, I do agree. I think that yeah. those players down there want to be involved, and if the, if the administration will, will bring them to the table, I think things can be solved, and then we can put it to bed and stop, stop arguing about it. Mm-hmm. Okay,
0: go ahead, Emily.
3: Yeah, I did want to mention, I mean, to be fair, President Trump undid uh, Obama's Bears Ears designation through executive order, and Utah leaders applauded that. So um, I know there is this ongoing tension between Utah and the federal government, um, and executive orders are not the the ideal way we like to see things done but sometimes you know i guess if it's the right thing for state (laughs) leaders um it's it seems to be all right but scott to your point uh, i think it's important who is sitting at the table when they're discussing these monuments and these public lands issues. Um, President Biden has appointed Deb Holland, the first indigenous uh, secretary of the interior. And so I think that having her here and discussing these issues will kind of um, change the dynamic a little bit.
1: Oh, that's a good point, Emily. Uh, although she calls herself a 25-year or a 25-generation New Mexican before she puts that uh, that the connotation of it indigenous. But I think you're absolutely right that having a leader like that will make a difference in what we're going to do. Because from what I've seen of her, and I don't know her, she is pretty much engaging and wants to it, it wants to work together and create win-wins. Mm.
0: Uh, let's talk about the win-win for a second. It's something you mentioned a second ago, Scott. Uh, But but Chris, talk about this point. We we recently, the Hinckley Institute of Politics with the Desert News just completed a poll. And one of the questions was about what Utahns think the number one priority should be for President Biden. And without question, uh, uh, 40% of Utahns said, it's the vaccine distribution. All right, this is the one thing that Utahns, and the other ones are pretty far seconds. This is the number one thing. Uh, How important is it for President Biden in your mind to get this one right? And what does that mean for the rest of his agenda? Yeah, I mean, right or wrong, despite you know the, the the struggles and
2: challenges that have been left in his lap, it is the it is the area that's going to define his presidency. If if we can't get the vaccine fixed and rolled out and into people's arms, um, then it's going to be a disaster, and we're going to continue to see the problems that we've seen, um, and, and so that is absolutely priority number one. And I hope that he can because I think it's in the best interest of all of us as Americans, uh, from an economic standpoint, from a health standpoint point from just uh, the the well-being of our children being in school I mean I'm we're all looking forward to being back to normal whatever that means and so absolutely I want him to get it right and I think everybody does and he needs to get it right in order for this
0: country to thrive yes. some some Scott have said has suggested you know and I think it's it's true that this is this is the unifying message if you want to talk about what that is is uh, this is a, a shared uh, concern for everyone's every political party said this so yeah, talk, talk through your lens as an advisor to the president and also in so many ways, uh, how he should be uh, advancing that cause and Utah in the country and how that might bring some of our own uh, delegation
1: a little closer to him. Well, the first thing that he did was he brought Dr. Fauci back. And Dr. Fauci made a great comment. He says, it's great to be in an administration where I'm told, if you don't know the answer, make something up. Biden said, if you don't know the answer, say, I don't know the answer. And be that, that clear. And I think you've seen with Jen uh, uh, Pekaski, uh, the press secretary now, how frank they're going to be in this. And the president does have a plan, a million shots a day and getting 100 million doses out in the first hundred days but there's some underlying things on there and Chris alluded to this with regards to wearing a mask some of the things we need to do as citizens of this country in order to stop the spread and you hear time and time again just that simple thing of washing your hands and and wearing a mask can help delay that but I'm thrilled that the president believes and understands that we've got to get our kids back into the classroom that to me sends a message to everyone that he understands the power of education And Chris is exactly right that if we don't do this right, that will be the demarcation of how oh, he felt at the very beginning. Okay, uh, I want to get to some state politics for a second, but Emily, just one more on our federal,
0: on the federal side, because with this change in uh, having a new president, President Biden, I'm curious how this is going to change the interactions and really the approval numbers for our own delegation. Again, using um, the the, De- the Deseret News poll we just did, I just want to throw out a couple numbers really quick and talk about how these two, our two senators, are going to play in this administration. Senator Mike Lee, 45. 45% approval in the state, 41% disapproval. But of course, I, I have to mention with the Republicans, he's at 69%, totally fine mm-hmm. with his own party. Uh, but Mitt Romney has a 50% approval, but he's he's mostly doing well with everyone but his own party. All right, talk about the dynamics for both of those two, uh, those two players on the national stage.
3: Um, I think that Mitt Romney has really stood out You know over these past four years as someone who will speak out against the leader of his own party right we haven't seen that from a ton of Republicans during Trump's administration Um, but I think you know I was tuning into the show last week and someone mentioned that Mitt Romney is really truly a conservative he just was not a Trump fan so um, I'm interested to see how he will respond to some of Biden's policies um, although you know Biden is a is a pretty moderate Democrat he's not wildly progressive so that will be interesting and maybe Romney will um, will come back up as as someone who is uh perhaps more accepted by his republican colleagues and republican um, constituents now that he is kind of playing that that uh that role with the democratic president so um i'm not quite sure about mike lee though um i would be interested to hear how uh scott or chris thinks mike lee will will interact with biden
2: yeah, I, you know, I I think it'll be interesting to see. I mean, Mike, the, the interesting thing about Senator Lee, Senator Lee really does want to see the Senate function. I know that he cares about big ideas. I know that he cares about working policy the right way. So I have heard him talk about him being hopeful that a 50-50 Senate allows for regular order, allows for the committee process to work. And I think he truly means that and believes that. Now, with that being said, Mike is a conservative. There's no question about that. And he's going to come from with that lens. Uh, but he has Shown, I mean, you've worked with him. I've worked with him. He's shown that he's willing to be pragmatic and and thoughtful about big ideas. And so I'm hopeful that he'll continue that way. But he he's got the. I mean, if I if I want if I had those numbers going into my election, I would be happy. You know, more more likely than not. Um, there's going to be a little bit of a, 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 a whipslaw, if you will, from towards the Republicans. And so Mike's probably in a good spot there, but but has some work to do. Mitts, he's, he doesn't even have to worry about it. He doesn't
0: have to run for re-election for a long time. Lots of lie. time for those numbers to move up and down, so... Yeah. For sure. Uh, Let's get to uh, some of our our local elected officials. I want to start with uh, the governor, Governor Cox. Uh, Scott, we got the state of the state last night, all right? Any key takeaways from his first speech? It was short because he was trying to keep people safe and minimize the time together. Any key takeaways from that speech?
1: Well, I really appreciate the shortness in that. I compare him to Bill Clinton, who always took more than double the time on everything he did. Uh, And I love Bill. Don't get me wrong. But I thought Spencer sent a message again that we have to be careful, we have to be serious. There is one thing that's very uh, puzzling to me when he said, I'm your friend, but I'm going to veto a lot of your bills. I, 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 if someone, if, if I was in the legislature, I'd which go, you were. Yeah, yeah, which I was, I would say, how many crappy bills do I have that you're already <laughs> on the list? And I haven't gone through the bills. Probably Chris has gone through them a lot more than Emily has, but there must be a lot of bad bills up there before, for him to fire that warning shot across the bow. And then I love Stuart Adams. Well, you know, we're all good friends and that's just part of the process. Dang, that wasn't part of the process when I was was there. Uh, You know, if Mike uh, Levitt or uh, John or uh, Norm Banger had said that in the opening remark, they would have gone, am I doomed? Should I go down right now and say, is this over? So,
0: Yeah, yeah, Emily, talk about that. You were covering the speech. I know you were there because that is something that seems to stand out. There's a call for unity and some of the top issues, but wow, that's a little bit of a shot from one of his former colleagues, right? He used to be a member
3: yeah that was really curious to me as well I was like oh man what's coming up that's so bad Um, and he also said um, specifically that he might veto more bills than his predecessors had so um, that was interesting to me because uh, you know governor Gary Herbert's relationship with the legislature they were always butting heads and I don't I I don't know how many bills Herbert vetoed but Spencer Cox was going to veto more than that, Uh, I thought that it was a weird way to kind of set up his relationship with the legislature going forward. But, you know, we heard a lot of the same sorts of things that Spencer Cox mentioned on the campaign trail. He talked about unity, like we've mentioned, a huge theme of his during the campaign uh, and over the past few weeks. Uh, He talked about education, talked about getting through the pandemic. So I feel like I didn't hear much that was new from Spencer Cox, but definitely I appreciated his brevity <laughs> yeah. in his little 15-minute speech.
0: So, so talk about this in perspective. Chris, I want to hear you. Former chief of staff to the Speaker of the House was a position you held. Former legislator. Does it... When the governor gives a speech like this, I mean, are, are they worried? Are they scared? Are they just like, oh yeah, this is it's go time? Yeah, n- no, they're not. I, I, I think it was a, g- a great speech. I think he did a
2: number of things really well. I loved his uh, his talk about equity in education and the way he he compared that using the graphite rod and uh, versus a stick and string. I thought he did he 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 weaved some really beautiful analogies in there, and I give him credit for that. Uh, at the end of the day, governors have not typically vetoed a lot of bills. Most of the bills that get done are done on a really I'll even say bipartisan basis, but you know, they're clean up, they're technical. So what does he mean by I'm gonna veto more bills or I'm gonna look t- more towards that? It'll be an interesting thing, does that, is he trying to put a line in the sand saying, "I'm going, you need to come to me, I need to be more involved in policy or I'm going to do that? Or is it going to be, no, do your thing, but I'm just gonna put a marker down and veto more bills? It'll be interesting to see how he does that. I would hope that what that means is, you need to consult with me, we need to have more conversations about the policy perspective at the beginning and not just expect me to, to rubber stamp it at the end.
1: Good point. Do you have anything on this, Scott? Yeah, well, one of the most poignant moments in uh, Holt's speech was when he talked about this great teacher who sacrificed, and then he said, it's my brother wow, that sent a message to me, that this guy really does understand education. And I know he promised that he'd increase the WPU. And when you look at his budget, as Chris knows, the governor sends a budget and the legislators go, oh, thank you, we'll see you later. But I, I hope that, that, that they'll all come together because education is the key. And that was a, a really great moment when he, he, he told people now, I know education inside out because my brother's a teacher. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's important yeah. to note, and I want to give credit to
2: President Adams and Speaker Wilson. It could be easy for them to throw not only his budget out the window, but that speech and just say, you know what, if he wants a fight, we'll take a fight. That's not the approach they're taking. Right. Um, they deserve a lot of credit for, you know, the, the way that they've conducted themselves. They have been strong in making sure that we're balancing health and economic interests in, in you know, and and balancing even getting school children yeah. back in. So I give them a lot of credit. They deserve credit as well. It's It's a three-headed monster in that regard, and they have to work closely with mm-hmm. one another in order for it to work, to function properly.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, we are ending the first week of the session, and so to, to that uh, aim right there from these legislators, I'm just curious, uh, any bills you're seeing that are going to start dominating the headlines are already becoming interesting uh, in, in the state? Emily, what are you seeing from your perspective there? I know you're on the Hill.
3: Yeah, well, you know, I'm on the Hill virtually, Jason. Uh, but, yes, me too. Uh, um, th- Stuart Adams said 2021 is the year of the tax cut. And we have already seen uh, the state Senate pass the first tax cut legislation, uh, which targeted uh, retired people's income. So that's just the start. There's still, you know, what, like $40 million more set aside for tax cuts. So that's something that I think will be a big theme this year. Another thing that I'm watching out for is police reform legislation. And we have seen a lot of bills already, uh, mostly stemming from protests over the past year against police brutality and racial injustice. So I think uh, those will provide uh, a lot of a lot of fodder for discussion and debate, and that's something that I think we really need to keep an eye on this session.
0: Mm-hmm. I wanna watch those close several themes in there. But Scott, you're working on a specific one. We've got lots of viewers down in the southern part of the state of Utah.
1: You're working on a bill. Well, it's a proud uh, graduate of Dixie University, we should have changed that name of Dixie State University like Emily said in our uh, pre-conference here uh, we should have changed that 20 years ago and why we haven't changed that this is not uh, about doing harm to the culture this is not doing harm to if my aunt's name is Dixie it's not showing disrespect what it is is showing that we are in the 21st century and that racism and I'll quote Dallin Oaks, racism has to end. It was that simple. And I think connotations of that Dixie and what it means, we have to end that. And so to my legislative friends, this is an issue for each graduate down there. When they go to apply for a job in New York City and their recruiter says, tell me about, does this say Dixie? Did you misspell this or tell me about Dixie? That's hard. And we have to end that. And you know what, to my good friends in St. George, it's a cultural change, and it's going to happen, but it will happen for the best of your kids and your grandkids and your great-grandkids. Well, it's so, it's so interesting.
0: Not many people know that for a name change like that, it does require, Chris, it requires the legislature yes. to approve. Yeah. And this is an issue that's been since you were working in the legislature.
2: Yeah, and I, I think it'll be interesting to see. I, I applaud Dixie for you know the way they've I- engaged the, the grassroots and have talked about some of these issues and the impacts it has on their graduates. I'll just note, I think one of the important issues, the legislature, often we focus on these big issues and that... To generate a lot of headlines, they're planning to spend a lot of money, both one-time money and bonding on infrastructure. Uh, that's And they're talking about roads. They're talking about transit. They're talking about active transportation. They're talking about fiber. This is the the benefit that's going to have for Utah's for generations.
0: Well, it's so interesting. We're, we're going to have to end with that. But certainly, as we look at the end of the session, when there's a lot of money, one-time money in particular, the, qu- the decisions become even harder, it turns out.
1: I can tell you from experience, it is harder to allocate appropriate one-time money than it is full-time. Yeah. Thank you so much for your insights this evening.
0: Thank you for listening to this podcast episode of The Hinkley Report. If you like listening to the experts talking about the issues, please leave us a review on your favorite podcast app.